Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. I guess I just remember going through like years and years of crazy that we tried everything. We didn't know what was happening. And I remember not sleeping. I was getting heart palpitations. I was hiding. I was going to hotels and I was feeling guilty, feeling like the worst mom because I didn't, you know, intuitively I was protecting myself and my body and my brain knew what I needed, but I didn't connect with that. And I just felt like I was this bad parent and then leaving you with the kids and, and it just got harder and harder. So, you know, any conversation was a battle and, you know, just constantly hearing, I don't care about you. You're not my family and causing issues at school on the cell phone. I mean, every aspect of her life and then her brother and, um, and him partially growing and going his own way and then not. And we didn't really have therapy. I mean, finding a therapist, once we got up here, we had those for that first year in the bigger city we were in. And then we came up here, the kids weren't adopted yet. And they still had a caseworker. We didn't for three months because there was an argument between the two caseworkers who was going to be our caseworker. And neither of them would sign up for it. So we weren't even being monitored as parents and we didn't have anybody to support us. And then it took us forever to find a therapist. By that time, it was too late for our daughter because other things had happened, but, but you're right. Like all those, all those things. And it's hard to describe, but then starting to get dangerous, you know, shoulder checking me in the hate. And, but every minute, like there was something and it, I just remember thinking I'm going to get sick again. I'm going to, you know, this is going to create as a cancer survivor, this is going to cause me to have cancer again, this type of stress and, and not wanting to be in my own home, but not wanting to leave you alone. And every time we talked, we just could not get time away and there was no support for us. And, um, we did have a supportive family, but I remember, you know, it's just hard for them to understand, but So things started escalating and so then finding the knives and just all the disrespect, like you talk about and, you know, and purposeful and writing in a room, stealing money, lying, 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 lying. Even when we knew she wasn't telling, even when, you know, we absolutely knew and gave her every out and, but then over little things running away. And then it started running to the shelter. But the last time I remember is when she ran away, there was you, you were in the car. She was in the car with you. Right. And our son was he. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. Yeah. And there was some, I don't even remember what, what did you guys argue about? Oh, it was about the, uh, about school again, I'm going to (laughs) say, and how, and the proper use of computers and, Cause I remember it was, it became a, an issue while she was at home for homeschooling and because of the, how disrespectful she was to you, you, I remember you dropping her off at the office and just needing a break from the situation. So after work, but not in a hurtful way, just, it would, I wouldn't have led on to that. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, but it was, you needed, you needed that time because it was, it was already, already blown out of proportion in her mind and she was freaking out over it but on our way home it it was started off as a basic conversation you know about proper respect what happened here's how you deal with it exactly just working through through that and she just kept giving attitude for every single answer and it finally escalated to a point where you know it's just like what is it that you want is with the question that I started asking and she just kept going off and I just kept asking the same question and she 
would go off on other tangents that had nothing to do with the question that I had. And finally, I think she finally just said, I don't want to be here. I was just like, well, then you need to figure out how to get that, get through that and get past it. And, and then she jumped out of the car. Yeah. And say hit, we, you know, even though small town, we still hit traffic. And next thing I know, she's out of the car and running the other direction. I can't go anywhere. Right. I'm stuck there. And Our so son was, was just, stuck in the back crying because she yeah. was getting so... Because yeah. she was so worked up over this again. And I remember then you calling me saying, oh my gosh, you know, our daughter jumped out of the car and I'm stuck. You actually were in construction and oh, traffic. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember being in my car and then looking up and this is how small town she'd run a couple of blocks, but there she was in front of me and we locked eyes. And I remember she just froze for a minute. Her jaw dropped open like, uh Oh, and then she cut across and same thing. I was in traffic and she cut across, but I remember saying, should I, and you and I were on speakerphone together and nice. you were asking me which way did she run? And it was toward the way that you would go to the shelter. And that was her MO. She would run to the shelter. That became her, her place. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, the thing that kept happening is when things got hard at home, she would run. And then when things got hard at the shelter, she would want to come back home and she would just flip flop wherever it was easiest, right. For the time being. But when it came to that, she couldn't control it, or there were rules and expectations, then I want to go back to the other place that I think I can control. But I remember us being on the speaker on speaker phone. And I said, Oh my God, she's right here. Should I at the next street, should I turn down and circle back? And I remember both of us saying, you know what? You said, what direction is she going? I said, this, this direction, which was towards the shelter. And you said, you know what? Let's just go home. We're going to get the call in an hour that she's at the shelter. This is what we're used to happens every time. So we go right. home and I remember not getting the call. So it had been about an hour and then it was weird because that was always what happened. So we called the shelter she wasn't there. Right. And then we didn't know what to do. And then uh, we sent you down to the police station to file a report. Here's the one thing I'm going to tell people. In all the times our daughter ran away, we did not realize that every time you should file a report. Because if anything comes back, you have proof that your child has run away. And that it wasn't, um, I don't know. I don't know. You just need to document that. So this was the first time. And I think you learned that like, well, if she's run away before, have you filed? No. Well, you should. So you were doing that. And then I get a call from the state police. Now being a very typical family, we do not, we're not ever involved with police or crime or anything. It's the white picket fence. So to get a call from the state police, and then saying, we've got your daughter here. This is not my life. Like what is happening? Our daughter says she doesn't feel safe at home or that's what she said. So she ended up running to a friend's house who was also not a good friend, including the entire family. So this is a friend that lives with an alcoholic parent, maybe two. We just know a lot. It's not a good situation. And of course that's our daughter's best friend. So for some reason she decides to run there. The mom takes her to the state police and that's what our daughter comes up with to say whether she knew what that would do or not. I don't know. I mean, she was older and I don't think she quite knew the ramifications because then remember she was trying to take it back saying, I didn't say that. I just said I wasn't comfortable anyway. It was the best and worst day because so this police officer saying he's going to show up at my house. He needs to check things out. You know, your house is probably kind of messy. I remember just trying to pick things up. I'm calling you. You're still down in town, which is a half hour away, still completing this police report. I'm going to be alone. And you think of crazy things like what are the neighbors going to think when a state police drives into our driveway? Like that doesn't happen here. That looks suspicious, like all these things exactly going through. And then he didn't end up coming by because she was just going to, they were going to take her to the shelter, I think, and stay there. But it did. What scared me the most was then it flagged. They had to contact children, youth and families department. So now we're in this world of what, 
um, we're not abusive parents. We're good parents. Why are they involved? What is happening here? And I remember CYFD went and visited our son at school without notifying us and talking with him. And, you know, we don't have anything to hide, but it's this creepy world that you're suddenly thrown into. And you just, within an instant, you just, oh, it was terrifying. And then we had to have this big meeting, but I do remember before the big meeting, we had to go in the next day and talk with the the caseworker at CYFD. And I remember feeling some comfort there because do you remember what he said when we went in, when we went in and sat down? No, or was think, it just me? The, no, I was there with you, okay. but I was, I was still, I was angry at that mm. point. So because of the fact of where we were at, plus the fact that the state police wanted to have that chat with me, Oh, because she jumped out of the car with you. Because she jumped out of the car, and they uh, so now I'm ne- a negligent parent, and right. leaving my kid without any resources is what the way they made it sound. And let me just tell people, this is at like four o'clock in the afternoon as well. So I don't know what that's about. Any fourteen-year-old. Oh, anyway, go on. So- yeah. So I was just, I know I was, I was extremely angry about the situation. It was just like, oh yeah. So you're going to take this kid and make it sound like I'm like the worst father in the right. world. Right. And I'm just like, you know what? I have done everything I possibly can to make this work. And if she hops out of the car and runs away, you guys need to figure it out on your side. But if you guys want to throw me in jail for it, go ahead. But isn't that scary to think that that's what was coming down? Exactly. Right? I mean, terrifying. And I didn't know that yet about, I I don't know when I knew that piece. It was, it's just all a blur, but I remember going into the meeting. So yeah. So thanks for sharing that because you're just like, what is happening? And, um, and yet you're down filing the police report that she's missing within an hour of her running. Yeah. There's just so many. Mm. Oh, so speaking of that part of it, I'm because you're calling me right. and say, I'm trying to talk to the police officer. The police officer is finding out that she's there. So she's like, she's not missing. She's at the state police. I was just like, well, what's she doing there? I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. So, but then I've got a, the local police, just the town police. They're, he's looking at me like I'm crazy because he's like, well, why are you filing a police report for <laughs> somebody who's sitting at a state police office. I was just like, I didn't know she was there Yeah. until just now. She ran so, away, but he was nice to you because he was the one who said, you know, if she keeps running away, you need to file every time. Right. Exactly. But I remember it. So then we, we go to that big, no, it wasn't a big meeting. We go meet with the caseworker. And I remember being kind of comforted and not everybody gets this, but I remember him being this laid back kind of guy. He's been doing this for years but the first thing he said was, your daughter is quite a piece of work, isn't she? And I thought, what? And he said, you know, she's just basically waiting till she's 18 and can run away and go back and find her bio mom. And I thought, wow, you know what? You nailed it. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, her whole life with us has been fighting to leave, fighting to leave, to be on her own. I'm old enough to be on my own, even at nine, you know, and granted, they were basically on their own, but right? Not, not okay. So anyway, I remember feeling some kind of comfort there. Our daughter had her own therapist who it was just talk therapy. She wasn't a rad trained therapist, but lots of good things happened in this moment, which they don't for people, but her therapist was always an ally for us. And she always knew that our daughter had rad and even reported it to her supervisor who didn't didn't acknowledge it and said, no, later, our daughter did get the diagnosis. And I remember how happy her therapist just validated, you know, she was a newer therapist, but that validated her. And so good for her, but she ended up being an ally for us because she knew our daughter and she knew that, uh, she knew the stuff that was going on. She was getting played. She knew she was being manipulated by our daughter too. Right. It's just, that's what they're good at. And, but I remember she was, there for us. But I remember then we had to have this big meeting 
and our daughter went to the shelter and I remember they, we said she needs actual real testing. You know, we've had a psychologist report, but it was lame and it didn't really do anything. You know, basically you're depressed, you have anxiety, put you on a medication. There you go. Right. It was, it wasn't even a detailed, you know, I work in healthcare, that report and that eval was not thorough and mm -mm, not going to cut it, but we got to that. Then we had to go to this big meeting. And I remember thinking they called it a family support meeting and said, we've got to have this, we've got to have this meeting. We're going to figure out what the best plan of action is for your daughter and for you as a family. So I remember getting there and then there was this strange woman at the head of the table. So we're going through this stuff where are you going to be, you know, thrown in jail and looked upon as this neglectful parent Timothy, our son has been interrogated at school when we don't know that somebody's even there talking to him. And not only that, but I was also thinking, what are they going to think about us? Right. The principal and who let this, why is CYFD now? Everybody knows that. And this, what is happening? Right. But all these fears and confusion and stuff happening out of our control. Then we show up at this big meeting, which is supposed to be a family support meeting. And there's this woman at the head of the table, our daughter's therapist, that caseworker who, you know, first met with us, our daughter, I don't know, I think the supervisor and, and us, and then somebody from the shelter and somebody from the shelter. Right. And again, thankfully the people at the shelter knew our situation because our daughter had run there so many times, right. That was just where, so they knew and they communicated with us. But I remember the lady at the end of the table saying, okay, we need to fill out these forms. Do you remember this? And I remember it was like, you need to write down the names of people so that if the kids are taken where they can go and stay. And I remember thinking, what? Exactly. Uh, this is a possibility. What is happening? And yeah. I remember in that moment, I thought, you know what, kid, you are capable of this. You know exactly what you're doing. I'm not, I'm putting my foot down from this point forward. I'm not allowing this to happen ever, ever, ever. Like this does not, mm-mm, I uh uh-uh. but I remember yeah. being terrified. So I'm feeling that out. I'm not knowing what we're going to be talking about in this meeting, just terrified and thinking, you know, is our whole family going to be pulled apart and in this moment? And here we are living this life. That is like a TV show. That isn't even us. We're not these people. How did we, what is happening? And luckily as the meeting went on and people were talking and sharing it became clear to the lady at the head of the table. I don't know what to call her, who she was. I think she was just a mediator. Yeah, but she was in charge and right. she came in from the big city, you know, and, and we, there was no preparation about what this meeting was about, except this family support meeting. And I remember a light bulb went on in her brain and she said, she stopped the meeting for a minute and she said, oh, oh, this isn't this type of meeting. This is a family support meeting. I'm so sorry. And so we're really just trying to find what the best situation is for your daughter. And I could breathe a little bit, but I was so anxious. And I remember at the end of the meeting, I could cry talking about it when she the big scary lady at the head of the table, (laughs) after the meeting, she leaned over to me and she said, this isn't your fault. And it's making me cry. (laughs) I just remember her saying, this isn't your fault. This happens. This is out of your control. You're doing, you've done everything you can, right? Like you've done everything you can basically validation that, you know, this is out of your control. This is a whole different situation. And one still, so we still did not have a rad diagnosis, right? We're living crazy. We're now in this situation. Right. Right. But I remember that being such a relief when that big scary lady at the end of the table, we got the acknowledgement 
Um, and that imagine, right, what other families go through that don't have people that see, like our caseworker who said she's a piece of work. I get it. This is her MO. She wants to run when she's 18 and leave and never come back. And, you know, he saw it all and her therapist saw it all. And, um, and even in that meeting, her therapist was our advocate for making sure we had the right resources in place. And she was talking about resources that we were supposed to get that we never were offered and, and got us the right assessment. And by two, I think psychologists, Mm -hmm. and even then we didn't have the rad diagnosis, right? We still had a diagnosis that she has all these things and the best thing would be for her to either come home or to go to a treatment facility. And we pushed for the treatment facility because we just knew no. Right. There's at this point, there's no other option. Home was not the place for her. No. And we still didn't know why, but we just knew it was bad. And she'd run away so many times. She didn't want to be here. Everything that we did didn't work. And then we were getting all the behaviors now and the, the scary stuff, you know, mm-hmm. suicidal ideation and cutting and leaving, you know, knives around and you know, so many, a couple of trips to the ER for suicide threats and, and just those outward, uh, just completely lose it and scream, uh, just unbelievable. But what did you feel in that meeting? You were mad. <clears throat> I was mad. I was yeah. I was mad that we were having to sit through that because it's just like there's no reason for us to be in here. Let's say yeah. and you know, us having to explain ourselves as parents yeah. is to me something that nobody should ever have to explain themselves as a parent if you're well, doing good everything you can. Good yeah. parents, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we knew that we were doing everything we could to try and help. So I think that was where I was more in that aspect, because then I was still upset with uh, our daughter over making those allegations about it. So I wasn't real pleased to have to see her mm-hmm. in the meeting and mm-hmm. having to ex- uh, explain ourselves to a bunch of strangers about yeah. what sh- the situation that she's managed to cause, cause fear for you, cause yeah. uh, probably anxiety for uh, our son because for he was... Sure having to be talked to at school by somebody he doesn't even know. Yeah. Didn't even make sense to him. Probably. Yeah. And that made you me know? feel good hearing the caseworker say, Oh my gosh, you know, I asked him all these questions. He's just a happy guy, you know, and he really, I, you know, it's just all that validation that you are doing the right things and doing your best and you're good people, but still, right. They don't have yeah. to believe you and it's big right. and scary. And you're right. Seeing our daughter. I mean, that was the moment for me where I switched and I thought, Mm-mm, if you are capable of this, then I need to, I need to change and I cannot let you in on the level that I was anymore of caring and trust and whatever. Now it becomes, um, protecting all of us. And right. I didn't protecting the family and yeah. you're part of the family, but we're going to protect you, but just in a different way now. Exactly. And, yeah. but I did, I kind of went us against her in a way. And I had to, I remember telling myself, remember this moment. So every time you want to slide and, you know, because I'm a mom and you want the best and they play on your kindness, like, you know, our daughter will call us. She's at an RTC now, but she'll call us and Oh, I want to talk to mom right now. And it's because she knows she can get certain things from me. And that's a normal teenage thing to do too. Right. But I can't describe the difference in level, but it's manipulation and it's for different things. (laughs) But anyway, so I just remember thinking when you want to give in Tracy, and when you want to, you know, you're going to you're going to just get, just remember this moment, stay strong. And I have pretty much throughout that time, but that was, I think the best thing for us because then she got the evaluations. She ended up going to, and here I thought this was going to be a great thing. Like, Oh, again, naive. She'll go to this residential treatment program where she'll get all the therapy she needs. And we worked really hard to make sure that we checked that it was 
by this time we did know about reactive attachment disorder. She didn't have the diagnosis, but I remember from researching on the internet and finding information and everything, this is what started feeling like a fit. Mm-hmm. And her, her therapist had mentioned it. Maybe that's what even got me going I think and, so. and talked about it. And so we didn't know about it and kind of figured out that that's what she had. And so here, I remember at least asking and us checking like they're rad informed and yeah, it's great. And I was thinking she would go there for months and months and months and get healed and come back and maybe not ever come back, but just that this would be the, the best track. And then we soon find out that the residential treatment centers, they're not necessarily there for, you know, 12 months or a long mm-hmm. time. It was literally three weeks to three weeks to three weeks, every three weeks. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Is she going to come home? Are they going to send her home? Is she going to qualify for longer? And we were having, right. and her therapist was using checklists when we kept questioning, like, when are we going to start the rad therapy? And, Oh, I'll download some checklists. No, ill intent towards that therapist, but clearly not rad informed. So our daughter and and we as a family, were not getting the therapy Mm -hmm. that we needed. And I remember starting to question and the doctor would avoid calling me. I never spoke with the doctor in charge of her entire case. Her therapist started disliking us because, you know, they kept saying, oh, she's doing really good, which these kids do do really good because they don't have to attach to anybody. Their staff changes all the time. You know, right. the rules, they, she would always sabotage. Right. And so, yeah, any, anything good. So when we started talking about, they started talking about sending her home, she started losing control. So some big event would happen on the unit with her because going home was no, right. That's, right. That's connection. It's too scary. It's love. It's connection. It's family. It's rules. It's expectations. No. And then they were going to send her home. And I remember us saying, okay, well, if she's going to come home, why don't we start in our therapy sessions, laying out the rules and the ground rules of, so she's ready for the expectations of coming back home. And it's not a shock. And if there's any bumps, we can work them out because we're in therapy. And what happened? Oh my gosh. It turned into like a screaming match on her side. Mm-hmm. Just so mad that, uh, she couldn't do certain things and that she had to follow normal rules that every, uh, 15 and 16 year old would have to follow. And well, and I remember her big thing was music. And so she wanted to know if she could listen to her music. So music is an, ex- an escape. So just like someone would do drugs, you know, for our daughter, she would wear earbuds and listen to music 24 hours a day. And that's not healthy. So we were really trying to be liberal and open and saying, you know what? Okay. You can listen to your music as much as you want, except at bedtime, when you go to bed, you need to, you know, no earbuds, no iPod. You can listen to your clock radio for 30 minutes and fall asleep to it, but then your brain and your body need that rest but we did this on purpose because we knew that the minute we started setting and talking about rules. So we didn't, that was the only rule we started talking about. And you're right. Screaming match left the room. We tried that a couple of times and it kept failing. And then the therapist on the second or third time started speaking for our daughter because she was trying not to let that happen. Right. Mm -hmm. She doesn't qualify. We need to get her home. So I'm just going to keep answering for her. Right. Right. So-and-so, exactly. right. So-and-so that's how you feel. Right. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> right. Those were her responses. Me crazy. Yeah. And we kept saying, so how is this person ready to come home? And right. they were going to send her home. She doesn't qualify. And that's why they wouldn't talk to us anymore. And we were asking the right questions. We were saying the right things. And um, we talked about getting an advocate and they didn't like that because they were challenged and I get it. They have parameters, but then you need to have another plan because home isn't an option. And they, even in their plan, were saying home isn't an option. They said she needs to go to a group home or an independent living situation, but because of COVID, right. Then we hit COVID 
that, Mm -hmm. well, she was just going to go home and await placement. And my thing that I have is we are not skilled like a group home. We do not have the skills of a facility like you. If you can't handle her, how can we handle her at home? And you can clearly see in these meetings, it's, she's going to come home and look at what you're going to do to our family and to her. She can't handle it here. And we're not, we're, we're going to be in the exact same situation and just, ugh. so. And to say, and I want to yeah. back us up just a tad bit and say, she wasn't even supposed to go to an RTC. The therapist that did the actual true evaluation on her, she was supposed to go to, was it a a family therapy center or? Yeah, therapeutic family, therapeutic family. Yeah, TFC, right? TFC, right. Yeah, and that's how screwed up the state is. There is like two or three that would accept somebody with the problems that she had going on. Right. And the fact that I spent hours upon hours calling them, following up with them, no. And I mean, we started this long oh, before right. she even got we out of We had to the, get uh, all the paperwork because CYFD was supposed to be in charge of this. Right. Yeah. And then we ended up having to figure out all the paperwork and that's where her therapist helped us. Her local therapist helped us gather everything in the reports that we needed. And so did CYFD. They just didn't do it for us, which they were supposed to. Exactly. So all all that time we spent trying to get her from the shelter where she was running out of time and they kept extending, but there was going to be a point that she couldn't stay there anymore either but that's because they only extended because they knew that we were trying, but there was a, and there was a point that they couldn't keep her there. Yeah. It's a specific amount of time. Right. And I remember all these places just kept calling and kept calling and nobody would have anything. And I finally, I don't remember what it was that switched, but that's when I was just like, okay, what about the RTCs? Yeah. And then I talked to the therapist that, uh, that, did the whole evaluation and she was very nice. And she says she really needs to be in this because it's all about connection right? and all about working through attachment. And I was just like, okay, but we're not getting that piece of it. And she needs help in other ways as well. Right. So she said, well, if it needs to be, I can change the report. And I remember sending us the new report. So then we got them all out to the RTCs. Yeah. But it wasn't the, the design that it needed to be for this, for this kid, because yeah. the state couldn't even figure out how to help her. And I remember asking if we could send out of state and, right. and I can't remember the reasoning, but I fought them on that. The, um, the insurance, insurance company. Yeah. Right. But yeah, they, the insurance said they couldn't cover out of state and I guess it's different state to state, but yeah, so that you're right. They couldn't get the help and it's very frustrating. I'm sure it's frustrating for the state too. You know, I hate to pick sides, but it's very, the supports are not out there, right? We got decline, decline, decline. And then the RTCs, we had to send out packets everywhere there. We, and we had to send them to every single one in the state before they would even consider another option for the RTCs, the resident, the residential treatment center. Cause I think there might've been an option to send out of state, but they only had a list of three out of state ones. If these didn't work. Right. And, and that's right. That's, and we kept getting the decline letter, decline letter refused. No, 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 no. And by this time we did get the diagnosis from, no, we didn't have the diagnosis yet. That was when she no. got to the RTC. Yeah. Right. Sorry. And I wanted to just back you no. up because it, it right. wasn't even, it wasn't even, we didn't even get what we needed, what she no. really truly needed because there's not even the support Yeah. for these kids in uh, probably most states right. that they're, they're living in. So we got her to the RTC that was supposed to be rad informed that wasn't. And then they were not helpful. And then it just became a push and a fight to get her home or out of there because they couldn't manage it, even though this therapist was in the meetings and could see that she couldn't even agree to any rule and would flip out and leave the meetings. And I mean, I just don't get the thinking. And so we had three days to find a place and, you know, through other resources, we 
learned about therapeutic boarding schools, but I remember talking to one woman who uh, basically, unless you had tens of thousands of dollars or $10,000 a month to pay for this, um, she went down a, a very limited list and the other, so there was nothing available for us. And then, and it really wasn't that helpful. And so then again, we reconnected with an advocate who thankfully had a bigger list of, we learned about therapeutic boarding schools and more affordable ones. And I remember getting that list and just starting to call and we managed, somebody was looking out for us that day or something because mm-hmm. had three days before this kid was going to come home. And I just remember, I mean, I just can't even describe um, how terrifying that was for all of us. And we'd started seeing gains in our son really turning around becoming a a healthier person. And we had him and us in family therapy here, which was really helpful. And somebody who finally is rad specific. Mm -hmm. Hi listeners. I am so excited to tell you that there is a conference happening this summer for us, for you, rad parents. It's called navigating rad 2021, and it's being hosted by rad advocates. The conference is going to take place August 20th to 21st in Denver, Colorado. Registration is open. So hop on the website, radadvocates.org, sign up for the conference, and check out their amazing lineup of who's going to be there, including other parents just like you. Start making your travel plans to Denver the weekend of August 20th to 21st. I hope to see you there. So every three weeks we're living in this, like, hold your breath. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What if, what if, what if she comes home? And then, oh, we got extended for another three to four weeks. Great. And then, you know, all the therapy and the badness happening in therapy and, uh, and then you get closer to that three week point again. And is she going to come home? So she got extended a couple of times. And then we had that three days to nope, figure it out. So I remember thankfully finding this one place after not very many calls and I was just determined, but it was amazing. So COVID who's going to take her during COVID. Uh, So this school was all girls taking kids in COVID. They could get the paperwork done in that amount of time so that we could go to the RTC, pick her up, drive to another state and take her there and check her in. So anyway, and then right different rules. So in the state we're in too, children that are 13 and older can say, I don't want my parents to know anything about my medical situation. Right. right? And they can make their own medical mental. mental health decisions. And so mm-hmm. here you have a mental health issue where you can't make decisions that are appropriate and look after yourself. And yet you're allowed to make them. And we have no say, but so this was another state that didn't have those rules that gave us a little bit of protection and her some protection too, because, you know, now she's been there for a year and that, that year is when we could finally breathe because we knew there was not this three week to three week to three week angst and wondering if we're going to be put back in this traumatic situation. Right. Right. And that was, So we drove 12 hours, stayed overnight, drove halfway, another 10 hours, stayed overnight or no, we drove like another 12 or 14 hours to the place, stayed overnight and checked her in the next morning. Yeah. It was like eight o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. start. And what did we finally get into the next town, the new state all together? Like it was like almost like an 18 hour day if I remember right. Cause it was was like two o'clock in the morning by the final time we got there. Yeah. I was just like, oh, but it was all, it was all, all worth it. Yeah. Just hop in the car, yeah. drive straight through yeah. to it. Let's get this done. And here's the thing. So that's given us a year to heal and really like, really, I mean, we were kind of doing stuff all along, but um, there's still the, the possibility of a return home, right? When she graduates the program or turns 18 and So now we're working through that. And again, it's protecting ourselves and our son and who is just, 
oh, which by the way, our son had rad and qualified just, was it last year? Does no, no longer qualifies with that diagnosis. He's attached, so attached to both of us. And yes, he still has rad behaviors and difficult things that he's still trying to work through and that we're trying to work through, but that has been amazing and wouldn't have happened. I don't think with, without her gone. No. And that's the thing is that so much of, I believe so much of his behaviors are learned from his sister. Mm So yeah, I'm not even, I know he had read mm-hmm. to say at, as well, but so much of it was uh, through his sister, him learning yeah. all that stuff through her. Yeah. So without her around, he's finally growing into his own, his own self. He's seeing how other kids uh, handle situations and he's really come so far modeling his peers versus this sibling that he has that he unhealthy right is unhealthy but he thought was teaching him the right things right really not right yeah and i think the hardest thing is that i i learned that you know i used to think trauma was veterans getting shot in war you know seeing someone die or killing someone or and i don't know why i never equated that i mean i knew trauma from abuse and things that would cause it too, but I just never really realized what it would do to kids. Again, you know, when we first got into this, I figured the same thing, like enough love and everything, but, and here's the thing too. I always felt like, Oh, our story isn't, and I've talked with other rad moms about this, but for the longest time I felt like, Oh, we shouldn't, it's really not that bad. You know, they're not trying to harm us or kill us. We don't have to have alarms on the door. Now, maybe we would have, as she got older, I could see it going that way. I think, uh, honestly, I think it was escalating at that point. If she had yeah. been here for another year and a half, yeah, I think yeah. we'd be in that situation now. We would be because I do worry about coming home and break-ins and, you know, I mean, that's, that's real, but But I think I always felt, well, I know I always felt like, oh, maybe our story isn't as, I don't know, as powerful. And I've always wanted to use this phrase because I heard one person say this, their therapist told them this, that your family is built on a grave. So adoption, your family is already built on a grave because those kids have gone through loss. They've lost a parent. They've been taken away. Your family is already built on death and loss and all of that. And so that hit me because it's so freaking true, right? Like we started out on a grave and, you know, another friend of mine, I remember all her always reminding me, you know, Tracy, the, the, you, you got, and broken's a terrible word, but this is what she said was, you know, you got broken children from a broken system. So you've got to remember this isn't you, right? It's, it's not your parenting. It's not you, but then these families are built already on such profound loss and hurt and pain and trauma. I guess I just never really knew, knew what it could do. And to the point of reactive attachment disorder. So we finally got the reactive attachment disorder diagnosis. It would be two years ago now, right? So we lived in this six or seven years. No, not even. We've probably only really? had that for maybe a year, maybe a year. Yeah. Not, right. No, not even. No, it would be because she's been at the, yeah. Yeah. The so place a for year. A year. yeah. Right. But you're right. And so we went through all of this, not knowing nobody else knew <laughs> nobody, nobody else Nobody told us, nobody I mean, told us idea. And we reached out. To, I mean, we literally tried everything. Every parent does. I mean, you try every type of therapy. I can name all the therapies neurofeedback, EMDR, you know, just all the parenting techniques and everything you're supposed to do, all the different parenting styles and, uh, and sending them to camps, doing family things, extended families, taking trips, peer groups, teen groups, ugh, just every, everything and nothing working. And yet nobody else able to help us. But, oh, so what I was going to say is I used to feel guilty thinking, well, our situation isn't near as bad as everybody else. But in my other line of work and working in healthcare for years, I always equated our daughter as being locked in. There's a 
syndrome, when you have a certain type of stroke that you're really locked in, you're nonverbal, you can't speak, you can't move. There's a book, the diving bell and the butterfly, and it's written by the a past editor of L magazine who had this type of stroke and had locked in syndrome and all he could do was blink. So he blinked with a therapist. He blinked out the alphabet, every letter for this entire book to spell words, but he was so locked in and shut down and couldn't get out. And that's what I have personally termed our daughter is she has locked in syndrome in terms of rad is that She's so emotionally locked down that until, and I get that it's big and scary and I don't get how big and scary to be honest, but I think I can try and understand, but imagine how big and scary it is to rather be locked down to the point that she won't let anybody in. I mean, all the therapists that have worked with her, nobody can crack her open and you just can't get in. And she just cannot get out. And so I think sometimes that's the the hardest because she's always living in this world of controlling and manipulating and just to constantly survive and get her needs met. But, you know, you can't reach her on any level for, for change and growth. You know, you would think we were talking with the the school that she's at and she in the entire year she's been there, they've seen zero empathy and very little emotion, unless it's something that affects her in a negative way. She's broken a rule or, you know, and that's the thing too. So we've, we've tried to visit three times now and every time she's sabotaged it so that she loses visiting rights and we can't visit emotionally there's just no getting in. No therapist has been able to do it. I mean, it's, it's clearly up to her if, or whenever she's ready, but I think that is, is the most difficult. You just can't help. Yeah. There's nothing to, I don't think there's anything we can do until she's ready. What would you say as a rad dad rad on a lot of levels? But <laughs> <laughs> Like, what did you see happening to me? What did you, what are things like as from a male perspective, a rad dad perspective, like you've talked about anger, how did like the relationship, did you even see or feel that? Were there any emotions around that? Or did you just kind of, is it easier for the guy just to go along? And I mean, what, what goes on with you guys? <laughs> you know, I guess it really for the the dad side of it, for me at least, is say a lot of the, the stuff that she did was she, I think she almost like made sure that I wasn't able to see the stuff that was going on. Some of it she did, but I think a lot of it she made sure that I wasn't visible, but I don't think she realized how much that you and I talked at night. So I would hear about it but i didn't see all the uh, the stuff that happened you know imagine just like some of the stuff that probably happened with me but even then the stuff that happened with me wasn't i don't i can't remember you know i know she tried to manipulate and i remember i would just call her on it and it'd be like no we're not we're not going that route but it was there was all those little things that i heard about some of it, you know, I, I saw say, but I knew that there was always a problem. And I knew, you know, like I said, I, I really went into more like a business mindset, Mm -hmm. just getting us through and just not caring. I don't think I really cared how the day would turn out. I just, I would roll along with it. What, the schedule was I'd make sure that everybody got what's supposed to be done, make sure that the stuff that was done at home. But I also realized that, you know, after this, I see how much of our life we lost mm. in the last, what, eight years, you know, because it just became the mundane stuff that you would have to just keep going and going mm-hmm. and, there was no real, there was no real living anymore. It was all trying to take care of the problems with the kids, you know, one appointment after another for you, you know, I saw how it 
uh, affected you. I saw how, you know, it brought out anxiety in you. It brought out uh, the constant worry of other uh, illnesses and stuff like that, that you could probably be getting because of the problems that you were having. And I was angry all the time and short tempered. I mean, mm-hmm. I said this in another podcast episode, but I became this just, I felt like we were always living on walking on eggshells because you know, I had this in me. I didn't want to re-traumatize her. I wanted to understand and care, but at the same time you had to deal with all the stuff that was going on and it was hard, but I feel like, yeah, I was just, I hated myself because I was short tempered and, and edgy, edgy, edgy all the time. That was the worst. You mentioned that you think she did things to make it so that you didn't see, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that because of the fact that I was the father. Mm -hmm. And I think once she found out that the guy that she thought was her father wasn't, Mm -hmm. I think that she did try to find a connection there. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I always talked that it seemed like she, she definitely seemed like she was more connected to me than ever than she was to you. But that's part of the manipulation too. Right. Exactly. But I think, you know, some of it came down, she didn't want me to see it because of the fact that she knew that I would call her on it if I saw right. it. Right. You're right. At the same time, because so to you, she was the perfect daughter in a sense. Like did all the things she knew to be to impress you and show you. Right. And another form of manipulation, right? Yeah, for sure. But you fell right. for it. Right? I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess if it feels normal or typical, there's nothing to question. But like you say, thankfully we talked all the time and thankfully you you know, I don't think you always saw it even when I said it, but I felt like you always believed, but we had times where you still wouldn't see it even when we talked about it. And I would just be pulling my hair out and feel like, you know, we had as parents with rad, you have to, have to, have to just be this incredibly strong team. And that's impossible, you know, at all times to be perfect at all times. So at times yeah. when that didn't happen, I felt alienated and like, oh, I've lost my ally and now you're getting sucked in and that you can, I can see it. And, you know, you'd have to wait until we could talk later for it to roll out and kind of revisit right. or relook at it and go, okay, now I see that. Right. But thankfully you yeah. did every time. Yeah. 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 So, but, and I'm not always the most observant on all of it. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I didn't see, and that's the other part of it. I wasn't always observant on that because I was in a different mode. I was in the yeah. mode of this is next, this is next. And right. I would find, you know, I would find my, my solace in, in TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would, that's where I would lose, I would lose the, the rest of it. And I would just yeah. make my, my day. That was my escape. Yeah. Whereas yours was the weekends away. Mine was. Or hiding upstairs or dragging you up to hide with me. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we all coped with it, but it was just in different ways. And mine was right. playing a game on my phone just to, to drown out what all the kids were doing. If you look at how we started and where we ended up until now, where we're back on track you know, very strong couple. We talked all the time. You never doubted me. My edginess sometimes and like irritability, I think got to us and me not sleeping and heart palpitations. Like there was that time you woke up and I, you thought I was on the phone. All right. I forgot about that. We're during the, the fact that she was, uh, our daughter was supposed to be coming home and you, whatever happened, but you I swear you were talking to somebody on the phone and cause you were talking to our daughter Yeah, and you were not happy about it. But then <laughs> when I started asking who you were talking to or what was going on, you didn't respond to me. And then that's when I figured out you were still asleep. <laughs> so, right. So not even sleeping properly cause you're right. just living this, this nightmare day and, and night. Right. And yeah. Just to kind of give you a heads up, I've never heard her talk in her sleep. So wow. that was the first time I've ever heard you talk in your sleep. Really? Yeah. So and not anymore. Just kind of shows you. 
Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. Haven't you haven't done it since? What do you think we lost? Like during that time, like we became there was, you know, we had no respite, nobody to leave our kids with, even if we wanted to. Well, that's not true. We did a few times. We did have a friend. Right. And then that became a big issue because our daughter would refuse and right. I think it it just it it sucked all the happiness out. I think mm-hmm. it just sucked out all the uh the need or the want, you know, and you asked, you talk about, you know, did you see it happening as it went along? And it was like, I didn't, Mm-mm. it just slowly took over. Yeah. It happened slowly. Yeah. I mean, there's not even time to focus on what is happening because the focus is a hundred percent on focusing on our son and what he's doing, and what he's needing, focusing on our daughter, what's going to happen next, where, what, when, I mean, I used to have a lot of anxiety just being out in public because you just don't know what's going to be said. I mean, she would make up things about us to teachers and other people and make things up about teachers and other people to us, right? Whatever, whatever worked. And I wonder, there's still a situation I wonder about. I wonder about with that bad friend or with that Mm -hmm. friend that is not in a healthy family situation. Right. Remember that situation where our daughter had gone over there for a sleepover and we had said, as long as she doesn't leave, you know, they just stay at the house and they don't go anywhere. Right. We'd just been trying to set some limits and have let her have a life. And, and then they ended up, the story was that they ended up going with her friend's older sister and her friend's older sister's boyfriend driving to a completely different town to pick up the alcoholic father And the alcoholic father was going to drive back, which is like a half hour drive with his daughter, our daughter's friend. And then our daughter was going to, was in the car with the older sister and the boyfriend and weird things were happening in there. And she came home and told us this whole story. And I thought there's no way she could fabricate this or make this up. And so we had a hard conversation with that family, the mom. And I mean, now, right. I wonder how far, how much of it's true. How much is that true? Yeah, exactly. Like what's the real story there? Yep. Anyway, any advice for dads, any advice for families, for couples or. I would say the only, the biggest advice I could say looking back on it now would be if you find yourself and it's just becoming a, uh, a routine and a mundane thing, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Find a way to break out of that and figure out what, what the situation is. If you find yourself and all you're doing is the every single day routine just to, to make it through, yeah. stop and just rethink, I guess. How can a husband be supportive? So it's always the, it's not always, it's mostly the moms who get targeted And like you, it's not uncommon when I talk with other parents or moms, it's not uncommon, common to hear that the guy, the husband just doesn't see it. And often they don't even believe it, or they think that the, the mom is overreacting or just being too Mm. strict to overbearing. I don't know. Like what, what advice would you give to couples? Uh, I would say you married your wife. You chose her as your family. Believe her when there's something about your kids. It is not your kids and you against your your wife. It's you and your wife supporting your kids. Gotcha. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> My Dr. Phil moment. Your Dr. Phil moment. I'm surprised we made it sometimes. I am too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's been, it's been a long, hard road. Yeah. Cause not only did we just deal with it, like a business, like would we fight or not get along? We would, like what we, we would have times that we just, cause well, you were tired. <laughs> yeah. You were on edge. So it wasn't always pleasant to deal with you. And I imagine I wasn't always pleasant to deal with. I can be just as stubborn. Much of a grouch if I'm and stubborn. If 
or just not wanting to deal with it. Like what you said, you just shut down and just don't, it's too much. You can't. Right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, every day. Right. And like you say, then you lose those moments of time alone or getting out or, oh, we could have found more times rather than feeling guilty about leaving our kids with anybody like putting ourselves first and who cares it's one night a week make that happen because that one night makes all the difference over week after week which we never did for ourselves because we Mm -hmm. made excuses that we can't find anybody for our kids or we don't want to do that to that person again even though they would have right? right and very true right so we didn't take enough time for ourselves no we really didn't say and we lost a lot of time on that let's say you know like our trip that we got to do a few weeks ago i think that's our first trip alone really alone (laughs) in yeah what five six years i think longer than that i think yeah have we ever versus a night i don't think so no Right. Say it's, it's been a while. It's been, it's been a long time since we got to do that. If I could rewind, I would make sure that we got one night a week Mm -hmm. just out doing something, no guilt and just who cares who they're with or what happens. Right. Right. That would have made a huge difference. They would have. Yeah. I think we about, it would have at least got us through that time with a little bit more happiness and living life a little bit more. And I think another thing that helped us was having a really supportive family on both sides. They may not have always Mm -hmm. understood to the degree and friends, but they they knew we were good people and we were doing our best and something was up. And, and even though sometimes giving the typical parenting responses, just try this or just do this, but they really believed in us and felt for us, even if they didn't understand that was huge right so support getting out together more who cares like putting yourself first 100 percent, and believing each other i like what you said about it's a team between you and your partner whoever that is supporting supporting the kids kids, but supporting each other right yeah oh the other thing i would say that really helped me the biggest turning point for me was when I switched my mindset. It's literally the secret ingredient is when I stopped trying to control everything to make my child better and to control every outing we went on, every situation we were in, control therapy and schools and programs and everything. When I just realized that there's only so much I can control, there's a part of this that is up to our daughter and the system, but just to let go and just let it be. I mean, to a certain point, obviously none of the dangerous stuff. So if there were suicidal thoughts or events and knives, of course you act on that stuff. But when I just separated myself and said, you know what, this isn't going to be, I am probably never going to have a mother daughter relationship with my daughter. And I may only be a support person, just kind of choking down that reality and coming to terms with it and letting go of all my dreams and expectations. Like when we started out, I was talking about how there isn't going to be the prom or graduation or, I mean, there's been lots of great things that she's done. Don't get me wrong, but you know, just all those milestones as a parent that you dream of, right? And that's how we started into this, thinking we were going to have this typical family and go on picnics and take trips and all those milestones and and they're not happening. So when I let go of that's not going to be my life or most likely, maybe I'll never say never, but most likely that's never going to be my reality as a parent. And so when I let go of that control and expecting all these dreams and trying to make it happen and also making my life, my daughter's life happen for her, make her better, make her, uh, give her all the things that maybe this didn't work, but maybe this will setting some real expectations that you can't do everything. And if what you're already doing is everything and it's still not working, I'm not saying to give up, but 
just a step, step back. It helped me to realize that this is going to be different and I can let go of this and I can just be me. And it's okay to sometimes just see what happens again, you know, anything dangerous and harmful, of course not, but just letting go of that white picket fence, leave it to beaver family or whatever that is for you and your family and not trying to force or make it happen anymore. There was such freedom in that. And when I let go of my life, I could breathe again. And I let go of all that started letting go of all that anger and stress and was able to put more focus on myself. And in the end, it was just healthier because I think I was trying to control everything, everything, because that's my job as a mom and a parent is, well, this therapy didn't work. I better research this. What will work? And when you get so far that it's killing you or taking you down that hole of, you know, your, your marriage dwindling and falling apart, your health, your mindset, your just joy and who you are. I had to let go of that, but that was literally the secret ingredient when I was just like, and maybe you have to hit rock bottom to get there. I hope not. And that's why I tell people is to do it sooner and don't feel guilty and don't feel like you have to control everything or you're in charge or it's all on you. Mm -mm, Nope. And that was like, my life opened up. That's our story. Thank you so much for having me on your show. (laughs) Thanks for being here. And thanks for being such a rad dad. And thanks for sharing a little piece of what it's like to be, to be the guy, the dad in all of this, because it's very different. Do you think dads have it easier? I think the dads have it. Well, my side, I think from my side, I think the dad definitely got it easier for sure. And thank you for so much for being a rad mom. Thanks buddy. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.